own clip. All right, here we go. Nebuchadnezzar is humble. We're going to start with verse 29. And I set it up a little bit differently here. Um, I, uh, I have the verse. And we're going to read the verses. And then there's going to be comments in between. So let's look at verses 29, 30, and 31. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. At the end of 12 months, he, of course that's Nebuchadnezzar, was walking about the royal palace in Babylon. What else does a king have to do? You know, you, you walk around and survey all that you owned. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Now we can assume, by the way, he was not walking around by himself. A king would never walk around by himself. He had his wise men, his counselors, his courtiers, they're all you know, behind him slightly walking. and He was basically pontificating to them. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. Can you imagine that? The voice said, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass. Uh, by the way, I find it fascinating. Well, it doesn't show up here. They shall drive you away. Who's they? They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Now, this is interesting here. Seven times shall pass over you. That's obviously um, means seven years. The... They, commentators think that they means the angelic people who are tasked with bringing this about. They. They're going to make this happen. Other commentators don't necessarily believe that the they is a reference to um, spiritual beings. I tend to think it is because it's hard to believe that his own people would do that. Yeah. But He's I could be wrong. They shall drive you from men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. So it seems like whoever is tasked by God, and as a matter of fact, a voice fell from heaven. We don't even know whose voice this is. This could be an archangel. This could be God. This could be, it's probably not God, but it could be an archangel. It could be a very high angelic being. Whoever is in charge of these other ones is going to make sure that this happens. Now, obviously, this individual is speaking on behalf of God. He didn't just come out and say, hey, I'm going to do this. No, God probably said, "Get, take care of Nebuchadnezzar. Tell him what's going to happen. God often does that. All right, so Nebuchadnezzar's pride leads to humbling. Now, as I was going through this this week and kind of reiterating this to myself, it reminds me that I'm also dealing with something that I'm fighting with because I'm not that humble in some ways. And so when something happens, sometimes the tendency is to want to bargain with God. Sometimes the tendency is, look, Lord, this is how it should go. You know, this is what you need to do for me. And the reality is that when we approach God that way, that's a complete lack of humility. I'm sure you would agree. 
But when you're in the middle of a situation, you don't necessarily see it that way, even as Christians. And I was telling David, or maybe you heard me, I forget, but sorry, when, when Mark's sermon was given today, I went up to him afterwards and said, well, you may not know it, but that was for me. It was for me, because I'm not the most humble person. I've said that before, I admitted it before. At the end of the year, Nebuchadnezzar is shown having learned nothing regarding his pride. Here it is, at the end of the year, God had done all these marvelous things through Daniel, through this, through that, and the other thing. And then at the end of the year, Nebuchadnezzar's like, hey, isn't this what I built for my royal favor? Isn't this awesome, what I did? And God's like, mm, no, it's not. So at the end of the year, in spite of what he went through, in spite of what he went through, he had learned nothing with respect to his pride. Now what I find fascinating, by the way, if we think all the way back to the Pharaoh of the Exodus, that guy, there was nothing humble about him. <coughs> there was never anything <coughs> humble about him. As a matter of fact, every time he came to the point where he actually did what was right, it wasn't long before he was taking it back and doing what was wrong. There was no permanent change in him. What we're going to see here with Nebuchadnezzar is God sees something in Nebuchadnezzar that we can't see. He sees something in him that we cannot see. And in the end, after those seven times passed, those seven years, God will bring it up. And we're going we're to um, compare that and contrast that with Daniel 5 next time we get together with uh, Belshazzar, Belshazzar, whatever his name is, who, is, who turns out to be Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. So, Nebuchadnezzar is proud of the city that he says he built. This speaks to my glory. He attributes his own might and power as though having done it himself. Isn't that something? This is satanic. This is what Satan does. We see that in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 where, Isaiah, where Satan makes his five I wills. His last one being, I will become like the Most High. This is a created being who knows he was created and actually believes he has the chance of becoming like the Most High who was not created. So, this is the same sense of satanic pride. Pride is satanic. Whenever we evidence it in our life, we're evidencing a, a characteristic of Satan. His attributes, his own might and powers, though having <coughs> derived from himself, did not derive from himself. But that's the way he came to think of it. He failed to understand that it was God and God alone who raised up men to be kings and deposed them at his will. And that's part of what God's going to show this man. You're a king now. Starting tomorrow, you're not going to be a king. You're going to be living like a sheep. You're going to be living like an ox. You're going to have long talons. You're going to have matted hair. You're going to live literally like an animal. You will be the furthest thing from the king that there ever will be. So, he's going to learn a lesson here. So his pride again leads to his humble. The king was still speaking. I think this is fascinating. 
He's still speaking, writing about himself and his alleged power when he was interrupted by a voice from heaven. Can you imagine that? It's hard to imagine. It's weird. It would be weird. You're sitting there bragging to your people, look, look what I did, look what I did, and then Nebuchadnezzar. What? What? So the voice utters judgment that has come to Nebuchadnezzar. Due to his continued unresolved pride, his kingdom would be taken from him literally. But it's interesting, he would lose it for seven years, but the kingdom would still be there to go back to. The king would be driven from men, he would live like an animal, all of this, until he learned that God and God alone was sovereign. So again, I think God sees something in Nebuchadnezzar that is, quote-unquote, redeemable. And so that's the reason he works the way he did. He didn't do that with Pharaoh. We'll find out he doesn't do it with uh, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson in chapter 5. But there was something about Nebuchadnezzar who, though prideful, was not completely enveloped with pride to the point that he could not come back. We're prideful. We are. I mean, I look back on my life and I think that I can recall times, I became a Christian when I was 13, I can recall times when I absolutely knew better than God did. And at that point, you know, God can do whatever He wants to do. He can sit there and say, well, you're hopeless, you're gone. But that's the way we are. To a degree. The humbling of proud rulers, and, and this is true, it's a recurrent theme throughout Scripture. Rulers always need to be, I guess, tested. Because they, I mean, imagine. Imagine becoming a king or a ruler of a nation and how easy it might be to let that power go to your head. You know, um, I don't know. I think it's just way too easy to do. And it, it's almost like for the most part, maybe not always, but it seems like those people who get into politics, it seems like they do it for one reason, or maybe they do it because they really want to make the change, but then after they get there, often it seems like they're controlled. I don't know. I could be wrong. It just seems that the way it is. Interestingly, Nebuchadnezzar was not killed by his enemies, as has happened many times throughout Scripture and history. I'm sure you could recall with me there are many times that the kings of Israel, the kings of uh, <coughs> Judah, other kings, Assyria, they were killed, literally, taken out by sons, by consorts, by people who wanted to take their, you know, their throne. This didn't happen to Nebuchadnezzar. And here he is, way out in the woods, in the fields, living like an animal. He could have been killed at any point, but he wasn't, obviously, because they, whoever they were, protected him from that. So God poured, protected Nebuchadnezzar for his purposes and for his glory, and that's what we see at the end of this story. God literally stepped in and kept the empire's affairs under control. Now, how did he do that? Well, I think part of that um, we'll get to in a minute, but I think this allowed Nebuchadnezzar literally to pick out at that point when he came back to his senses and he realized, oh, okay, I'm back. God is God. There is no greater God than God. 
And then he retook his position. And I personally believe that Daniel himself was part of that protection. Because I think, I can't imagine Daniel not praying for King Nebuchadnezzar. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine that. This man was a prayer warrior. He would have, he would have prayed. And don't forget, he was fairly high up in the kingdom. So he was going to do anything he could, and God would enable him to do that, to protect the king and encourage others in the government to prepare for the king's return. Yeah. <coughs> I, think that, I think Daniel and, and the king were pretty close to the I, same age. I, oh, yeah, yeah, probably right. Yes, yes. yeah, yeah. 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 And, yeah. And, and I'm sure Daniel had an affinity toward the king. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he yeah. saw... I'm sure he saw his pridefulness, but I'm sure he saw the humility in him that may have existed as well. And there was at least respect for one another. But I'm sure he took time encouraging others in the government to prepare for the king's return, because don't forget, the, the voice from heaven said, you're going to be gone for seven times. And Daniel would know. He'd say, look, it's only seven times. Seven years he'll be back. We need to keep the thing going. We need to prepare for that. Well, you don't know what politics or I mean Nebuchadnezzar may have been a beloved king. He may have been, yes. Yeah, he may have just, oh Lord, he's Looney Tunes. Yeah. But <laughs> Let him go for a He'll be happy. <coughs> so, that very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird claws. It's funny when we look at our chickens, we look at their claws. So his his nails got really long. His hair became very very matted. Hair like eagle's feathers remind us of hair that's neglected, matted, long, unkempt, dirty. The king did not think to trim his nails, or toes either. He gave no thought to his own grooming. Animals will at least groom themselves out of instinct. We see our chickens preening all the time. Our dogs clean themselves. Horses do the same thing. Cows. He didn't think it was any problem. It was just gone. It was just a human shell. He was not really there. Verse 34, and at the end of the time, seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. That's the first thing he does. And my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored him who lives forever. God knew that this would be the result. God knew that that would be the result. Sanity returned to Nebuchadnezzar at the appointed time. And really this, you know, sometimes I wonder what was Peter thinking when he, in verse uh, 6 of chapter 5, reminds us to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand who will lift us up in due time. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And, and this is very aptly applicable to what Nebuchadnezzar went through. Nothing, here's a couple of quotes. This is from Feinberg. These are conservative commentators. Nothing is more insane than human pride. Nothing is more sober and sensible than to praise God. 
And then Baldwin says, sanity begins with a realistic self-appraisal. We humans do not like to do realistic self-appraisals. It's hard to do, really. It's difficult, but we need to. But it still doesn't make it any easier. And then he continues, For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? This is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. The guy who was so full of himself before and was so humbled because of what God put him through. King Nebuchadnezzar, in coming to his senses, praises God most high. He eventually becomes a humbled man through what he suffered. Isn't that the way it is? Yeah. We are humbled through what we suffer, not through the blessings we are given. It's what we suffer. You think about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from what I think, uh, what was it, chapter 3? And uh, they were humbled even more because of what they went through in the fire of furnace. <coughs> we cannot be certain he came to a saving faith in Yahweh, but this is an implication and a very real possibility. Only God knows. And again, the fact that he had Daniel as a close confidant, <coughs> I'm sure... That made a difference. So it's safe to say that these changes in Nebuchadnezzar may have occurred, again, because of Daniel's influence on the king. And it's certain that Daniel continually prayed for the king. I can't imagine him ever forgetting. And it's clear that Nebuchadnezzar went from seeing himself as supreme to recognizing God's absolute sovereignty, which puts everything in a different light. Yeah. Everything. 36, at the same time my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. In other words, he understands that it's God who gives it to him, not that he's anything special. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven. All of whose works are truth, and his ways are justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. That's pretty humble statement. It is. Um, it is. It looks like you got it. I think so. Yeah. It's okay. He got there. I mean, I, I halfway think that we will meet him in heaven. How, you know, I mean, obviously I can't be sure of that, but from what he learned? Well, he doesn't say kings of heaven or... Yeah, he's right. Like he, it says king singular. a singular entity, a singular God. So I, I think he's there. Would not surprise me. But I agree with you. 
and I think that there definitely is some solid measure of genuine repentance there. Oh, I yeah, really do. Very clear. I really do. At the very least, humility has worked through Nebuchadnezzar, providing him an accurate assessment of himself. But again, you don't get there without God working in your life. You really don't. None of us do. And isn't that the goal? Well, he also personalizes it. He doesn't say we praise and extol. He says I, yeah, Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. That's true. This is me. This is true. This is so, true. Yeah. It looks like a statement of faith. Yeah. It does. Yeah. It does. I mean, you know, and again, it's easier to believe because of the presence of Daniel and the ministry, literally, he would have had to uh, Nebuchadnezzar. He would have explained things to him. How many, how many times did they talk? We have a couple of times recorded in Scripture, right, <clears throat> about him explaining the chapter 2, the statue, other things. But my goodness, they talked a lot, I'm sure. Probably every day. Yeah, we just don't have privy to what they discussed. Um, we don't know what's going on with Daniel probably out checking on him, you know. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, Daniel yeah, probably wanted to get the kingdom together. <laughs> yeah, Daniel, I'm sure. Yeah. Maybe he even took care of him. Maybe mm -hmm. took him down to the creek. Why? Watch him You never know. We, we just, run, we just run, don't know. Up. Clean him up. Yeah, All right. When you go back and look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right, and now he personalizes yeah. that God for himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there is a difference. So God God got what God wanted. Yeah, that's the way I interpret it. Yeah. I and I don't think there's anything wrong with that interpretation. Well, and, it, and it's also on the heels of his understanding of the dream yeah. that the God of heaven going to create these four kingdoms. Yep. And you're number one. Mm -hmm. And then there's going to be another kingdom follow you that will be not as great but lesser and so forth and so on. Yeah. And he accepted that explanation because yeah. he didn't take Daniel out and behead him or no. throw him in a pit or because something. Because everything Daniel told him really was a compliment. You're the great, you're the strongest right. well, it, it extolled me. You know? It did. Oh, I'm the gold guy. Yeah, yeah. That's something to be pr proud about there. I'm the head. Yeah, I'm the dude. I'm the man. Walford says, no other instance in the cuneiform inscriptions, which I find fascinating, occurs of a king recording his own inaction. That, 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 most of the time, these kings would embellish what they did to the point that it almost became unbelievable. But, uh, for instance, uh, Pharaoh, the Egyptian pharaohs, after the exodus and after that one pharaoh drowned with the army, the succeeding pharaohs <coughs> never recorded anything about that incident whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Because it made them look bad. Well, it's probably his father. But even if it wasn't, that's just yeah. the way they did it. The kings were always wanting to point themselves up. So the captive Jews needed to know that even the apparently limitless power of Nebuchadnezzar was under the control of the Lord God Almighty, who still cared for them and had a great future for them. So what God did with Nebuchadnezzar for seven years, those captive Jews who were taken from their homeland, brought to Babylon, saw it, understood its meaning, 
and we're able to take from them, God cares for you. I like what Mark said today. God cares a great deal for you. And He has His eye on you. And He is protecting you and watching over you. But when was this writing going to be available to the Jews? Say what now? When would this writing have been available to the Jews? Oh, I mean, this guy Archer says, okay, the Jews needed to know that... Well, that what I'm saying is they saw what happened. Right. So that's what they were able to glean from the okay. incident. But right. obviously it wasn't until Daniel wrote the book that right. other nations... Other... All right, what God did in and through Nebuchadnezzar was a great benefit to the captive Jews in Babylon as well as Nebuchadnezzar himself. <laughs> so things changed from that day with Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar was never the type of guy who basically said to the Jews, you can't ever go home. He treated them generally fairly, yeah. and he had a heart for them because that's the way God had designed it. But there were things that God needed to do in him. Now, even though, this is from Dwight, De Dwight Pentecost, even though God has appointed Gentiles, and this is fascinating, to a place of prominence in his program during the times of the Gentiles, and we are still in the times of the Gentiles right now, when does it end? Crush. Yeah, so this is the times of the Gentiles. The, the final kingdom that's coming, the one world order, is still going to be ruled by Gentiles. So even though the place of prominence of Gentiles in his program are there, most nations and people walk in rebellion of God. We're aware of that. God's judgment on Nebuchadnezzar designed to subject him to God's authority seems to prefigure God's judgment on the nations that subject them, Jews, to the authority of the one who has been given the right to rule. <coughs> and Dwight D. Pentecost said that. So we can see what's going on in the world right now. And it's, it's becoming pretty backward and even sick. Um, but that's because people who are in leadership positions are walking in rebellion against God. And this is what they're creating. So while this is still future, and we've got a ways to go, it's as good as done. In other words, Jesus is coming back one day. Jesus will set up his kingdom by destroying the final worldly Gentile kingdom that will exist at that point. And he will rule this earth for 1,000 years. I was watching a, we were watching an episode of Bible Expedition. If you are ever interested in watching um, archaeology, biblical archaeology, you can go to YouTube and look up Bible Expedition Channel. I forget the guy's name, Joel. The book's right there, Joel. He's, he's a wonderful Christian. Joel P. Kramer. He, um, he, was, he was raised and lived in Saudi Arabia most of his life and the Middle East. And he goes all over the world over there uh, to the archaeological sites. And the way he ties everything in with Scripture and the messages he gets out of it. The last one we were watching was um, they believe they have found the fourth river <coughs> that it talks about Eden. There was one river and they, was it four rivers and yeah, they break the, it? The Euphrates. The Pishon. The Pishon is the one he talked about yesterday. They finally actually found the Tigris, where, they, the Euphrates, where they believe the it is. The and the Pishon. And they, they become, you know, those four. But those those were the those were the rivers surrounding Eden. So they believe they actually know where Eden was located. But anyway, it's really fascinating stuff. And and the way he ties it together 
um, and, and just bring scripture into it so clearly is just fascinating stuff. So if you ever are interested in that, that's a great. It's a great. It, they're about 20 minute, 15, 20 minutes, sometimes 30 minute shows. The takeaway for Christians is that if God will take the time to humble pagan rulers, He will most definitely take the time to humble His own children. So we have two choices when that happens. And this is what I've been dealing with this week. I can go along quietly and understand that God's way is best. Or I could kick against the goats and say, no, 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 we need to do it this way. Or I would really appreciate it, God, if you would do it that way. And God is looking for this. Lord, what do you want? What do you want? Because that's what I want. And that's cooperating with God in the continually humbling process. So every situation we face, trials, temptations, difficulties, are all allowed or directed into our lives to create greater humility within us. God will humble us, and we would do well to cooperate with Him instead of resisting His efforts. And I'm trying to remind myself of that a lot this week. Now, next time we're going to get into this. This is Belshazzar, um, and he's the grandson of... Uh, oops. We're going to look at Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. Remember, Nabopolassar was Nebuchadnezzar's father, and then Nebuchadnezzar had a daughter who married this individual, and then a daughter who married Nebuchadnezzar, and from Nebuchadnezzar came Belshazzar. Now in the text it calls him, the King James refers to Belshazzar as the son of Nebuchadnezzar. That was perfectly okay in those days. Yeah. He was a grandson, but he was still related. And I think I told you before, <coughs> Saddam Hussein, um, when he was rebuilding Babylon, he put a sign up there that said, Saddam Hussein, son of Nebuchadnezzar. So he considered himself to be, to, I don't know if there actually was a connection, but he considered himself to be the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Obviously, he wouldn't have been the son, greatly removed. But anyway, that's what we'll be dealing with next week in Chapter 5. Any questions? No, you want to read Chapter 5 ahead right now? We have a few minutes. We do? Yeah. Okay. Do you want to do that? What's that? Now that who's going to say no? Okay. <laughs> huh? I just suggested. Go ahead and start on yeah. No, no, she just wants to read it. Oh, okay. It's it's thirty-one verses, so then. Sure. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. And while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Let me just stop for a minute. It's interesting that uh, he knew that Nebuchadnezzar had stored those things in uh, the storehouse and never used them. But he decided he was going but to. he had promised when he took them. Exactly. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple in the God, of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hands that wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave away. Well, I would too if I just saw this disembodied hand start writing. 
The king called out the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners, or diviners, to be brought, and said to these wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means <coughs> will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more frightened, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. O king, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have an insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, I say, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. It's funny how he didn't know that. <clears throat> this man, Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I've heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. Wise men and enchanters were brought me, before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, and they could not explain it. Now I heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing, tell me what it means. You will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. O king, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. You, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his <coughs> temple brought to you and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank wine from them. <coughs> you praise the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Many, many, tekel, parson. This is what the words mean. Many. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez. 
your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, <coughs> a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So we will go over that next week, and uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we are grateful. As difficult as it is sometimes to know that you love us enough to humble us. We also are grateful that you don't count our sin against us because all has been forgiven in Christ who died on Calvary's cross that we might live. Father, we thank you that we are part of your family and we know that being part of your family makes us responsible to live in a way that pleases you. And part of that if maybe not all of that stems from constantly walking away from arrogance, humbling ourselves before your heavy hand, so that in due time, you will lift us up according to the good pleasure of your will. Father, be with us this week as we go our way. Whatever situations we face, we ask and pray that you will keep us from arrogance and you will gift us with greater humility. We thank you for these folks tonight. Give them safety as they return home and bring us back together the next time. In Jesus' name, amen.